It's Lucy Litch, and this is Tiny House Conversations. It's the Australian-based podcast where I interview experienced tiny houses, tiny builders, and adventurers in the tiny world, so you can discover how to create, build, and transition into tiny life. Before we get into today's tiny house conversation, I want to tell you about something exciting coming up this weekend at the start of November 2022. It's a free three-day online tiny house summit created by Ethan Waldman, the host of the Tiny House Lifestyle podcast and author of the guide Tiny House Decisions. Ethan was a guest on the show at episode number 25, as well as featured in episode 26. And guess what? I'm going to be a guest speaker at the summit talking with Ethan all about tiny houses in Australia. The summit will also feature many different tiny house folks from around the world, especially from the US, talking about all the different topics you want to know more about, including solar systems, composting toilets, tiny house design, trailers, building science, renting out your tiny house for short and long-term stays, how to get out of debt and start saving for a tiny house, and plenty more. So if you're a curious tiny houser who's deciding if this way of life is for you and you want to learn more about tiny houses, or if you're a tiny house builder or tiny houser already, and you love being part of as many tiny house events as you can, I'd love to see you there. To register for the summit for free and reserve your space, just head over to tinyhousesummit.co. That's tinyhousesummit.co or .co. Now, if you want to purchase your all access pass to get lifetime access to all of the summit content, as well as some awesome bonuses, this includes 30 videos, 30 audio files, 30 transcripts, 30 bonus videos, a special workbook to help you take notes from all the guest interviews and a bonus live Q and A with Ethan and special guests next month. So you get a ton of value. Now, the cost is currently at the lowest price it will be before the summit starts this weekend. And if you use my unique link, it's also a way to show your support for me and what I do with Tiny House Conversations, bringing you awesome guests and great value week after week on your tiny journey. And if you use this unique link, it doesn't cost you any extra. Now, that link is tinyhouseconversations.com forward slash summit. That's tinyhouseconversations.com forward slash summit. Thank you so much if you choose to use my link. I can't wait to see you there. Okay, one more thing before we get there. I want to read you a five-star review from one of my listeners of the podcast, Nicole. Nicole says, Lucy finds people who answer the questions that are in my head. They delve into the nitty-gritty that I need to know in order to see the realities of tiny living if I can actually do it, and how I could do it. It's not just all dreams and niceties. I've learned so much. Thanks, Lucy. Thanks, guests. And thank you so much, Nicole, for taking the time to listen to the show each week. I know that you're a consistent listener. And thank you as well for taking the time to write this review. It really means so much. Not only does it help get the podcast in front of more people so that we can spread this tiny house message far and wide, The more reviews that the podcast receives, the more that the podcast grows, and the more that I'm able to make this sustainable and keep bringing you more tiny house conversations week after week, bringing you the best guests with the best insights, experiences, stories, and lessons to help you on your own tiny journey. 
So if you have a few minutes after listening to the show today and you find the podcast valuable, I'd love if you were able to leave your own five-star rating and review on whichever podcasting platform you're listening to now. Thank you so much. It means the world. Now let's get to the show. Hey, it's Lucy and welcome back to another episode of Tiny House Conversations. Today I'm speaking with Fred Schultz, who is a thought leader, innovator, advocate and teacher in Australia's tiny house movement. He designed, built and lived in his own off-grid fossil fuel free tiny house with his family and in doing so innovated the unified construction method to make tiny houses lightweight, safe to tow and comfortable to live in year round. Fred educates DIY builders and professionals alike on how to build safe tiny house vehicles through his online course and face-to-face workshops. He also makes highly engineered tiny house trailers that are perfect for building a tiny house on, featuring the strongest attachment method available between the tiny house and the trailer. Fred is always up for a chat about tiny houses and the philosophies that underpin them. If he's not supporting trailer clients in his tiny house office, he'll be on the tools or working in the garden at his home in Castlemaine, Victoria. Now, because Fred has experience and knowledge in a wide range of areas within tiny houses, this is a wide ranging conversation. And in this episode, we talk about the shifts that Fred has observed in the tiny house space over the years and where he thinks we're headed. The importance of constructing a long-lasting, safe and thermally well-performing tiny house on wheels or tiny house vehicle, why building to the National Construction Code or the Building Code of Australia doesn't necessarily make a safe tiny house vehicle or tiny house on wheels. We also talked about some of the consequences of building over the weight limit of a trailer rated to 4.5 tonne. All about the unified construction method, Fred's Tiny Trailers and Tiny House University, plus so much more. You'll get to hear in this conversation that Fred is really passionate about tiny houses and especially doing things properly and safely. And I've wanted to talk to him for a while, so it's really great to have him on the show. So with all that being said, on to this tiny house conversation with Fred. Fred, welcome to Tiny House Conversations and thanks so much for being here with me today. Uh, Hi, Lucy. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, Fred, I know that you DIY built your own tiny home many years ago and since then you've been helping other DIYers, building professionals and also curious tiny houses over the years with your knowledge and your experience. And I think I said this to you just before we started recording, like I feel like you have an important voice in the Australian tiny house space, especially, you know, with the ex- expertise in a number of different areas. So what I'd love to do in the conversation today is just cover some of those areas, starting with your story, uh, maybe a little bit about what you kind of see have seen in the tiny house movement over the years and where we're headed, and then dive into things like tiny house trailers and, and tiny house university. Um, so I'd love if you're able to just start by just taking us back to where your tiny house story began and, and what inspired you to build your own tiny home. Yes. Well, I wanted to have an off the grid tiny house that didn't use any fossil fuels in it. And I, uh, saw that I wasn't ever going to make a fortune. And I was going to take the money that I had and um, build a tiny house and try and reduce my living costs so that I could enjoy life and not just be working for the man. 
So way back when, that was 2010, so I've been at this a little while, there were very few resources. They were all American resources and uh, didn't really apply to Australian road rules or uh, in often ways in climate and just how people were building them in the States, was, which is my home country, um, but they didn't match. So part of my story began with doing my own research. And I think what's changed in that regard is that now we have so much information that person who's a tiny house builder or designer or aspirant really is overwhelmed with all of the information out there. Some of it, not very good information. Uh, it just gets repeated again and again, doesn't make it true. <laughs> In the early days, it was very much a DIY movement. There wasn't, there were no professionals in it, really. Um, the professionals were starting to get into it in the United States, but here, you know, there were no professional builders who were doing it. And then what happened was that the professional builders um, started entering the field and there were houses. And I still am surprised that there are still houses made with the door on the wrong side. <laughs> you know, pretty basic things like you can't just take an American design and plonk it in Australia and have it work. Now, that's some of what I've seen as having changed. And what's ahead for us is a lot of changes around road rules in Australia. The biggest change in 30 years to trailers, vehicles that are less than 4,500 kilograms ATM or aggregate trailer mass have now a whole lot more regulation involved. And that's what people are going to be looking at in the future here. I love how you have this real emphasis on, you know, this roadworthy, road safety type of, well, you call it a tiny house vehicle. I think sometimes we we forget about that aspect. And I'd love to to go into that in, in a second, but you just mentioned also there before that you your tiny house is completely fossil fuel free. So I'd love if you're able to just share with us a bit about the off-grid setup that you have. One of the things I cover in the course um, is off-grid is such a broad field. Like you have to narrow in on what do you mean by off the grid? For me, off-grid meant being free of the electrical grid and having a composting toilet and using wood to, to heat water and to not use any fossil fuels in it. But what I wasn't able to accomplish was to be free of a water source. Um, when I looked at the rainfall sorts of things, even with a awnings on both sides, which is how my tiny house is designed. So I've got a lot of roof space. It's only 5.4 meters long, but it still gives quite a bit of roof space. I couldn't collect enough water in Victoria, where I live, to be free of um, a source of water. So I'm not off the grid in the sense of freedom from mains water, or what we do is we collect it off of the main house now, and it goes down to the tiny. So. Yeah, and I like how you make make that differentiation with what does off-grid mean and because I think a lot of tiny houses these days, uh, maybe they're using a solar system and they're catching rainwater but then have to maybe use the local water carter, you know, several times a year if there's, like, as, as you're talking about, not enough rainfall and then also still using gas uh, and, and those types of resources too. So I think, yeah, that like, I really love that you said that. And... You know, you also mentioned before just some of the the changes that um, you've seen, and you know where where it started as 
like a DIY movement and now there's a lot of building companies and there seems to be more and more popping up. And I'm curious just what you've observed as well over the years of like how have the types of builds changed as well? Mm. Well, we've seen the uh, introduction of the storage space under the the staircase, you know, that came in, saw that come in and, you know, standing in your loft, that's new. First, there was the elevated lofts where uh, the tiny house company out of Brisbane, they've, they're no longer going, but they had some great designs where they lifted the bed up and down. Yeah, so lots of things. And some of the designs that we've been a part of helping to design include that, you know, we've got a pop-up roof design so you can stand up in the loft and we call it Jim's tiny house design because it was Jim (laughs) who first came to us and said, Hey, I've seen this. Can we do this? And uh, yeah, we love nutting those things out and um, now working with more, you know, proper architects to do some of the designs and things. I don't know. You've probably seen some changes over the years. Uh, Those are the things that I think of. Yeah. 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 And I think there's lots of different things that seem to be happening in in the tiny house space. I think, especially with different building companies and, and I guess also when people are wanting to customize and all of that. And, you know, just before we were talking about the, the road safety aspect of, of tiny houses on wheels. And I know that, and I also said that you, you often refer to them as tiny house vehicles because they do need to be roadworthy and they need to be safe. And from your experience and perspective, why does the building code of Australia or, or the national construction code so basically treating a, a tiny house like uh, as if it were on a foundation, how does that not make a safe tiny house vehicle or tiny house on wheels? Great question, Lucy, because this is, I feel like a voice crying in the wilderness on this one. I get it, you know, that people see these designs and they look so beautiful and the use of space uh, and materials and it's so bite-sized, you can make it a non-toxic house, you know, that is yours, that suits your physical shape and all this. And it is so seductive to get focused on the house part of a tiny house. But when it comes right down to it, it breaks my heart to think of people pouring their creative energies and their time and their money into something that is going to jiggle loose and isn't going to last over time. And it doesn't have to be that way, but you have to get back to first principles and about the physical forces that are acting on a tiny house vehicle, a caravan. You know, it's not a caravan in the sense that you're using really heavier materials than are used in a a caravan because you're not going to be doing what you do with a caravan, which is to move it frequently. You have the freedom to build it any way you like because it's not a house. So you don't have to meet all of the construction codes. So, But there's also a lot of responsibility that goes with going off the reservation, the safe reservation of the National Construction Code. But the National Construction Code is a danger because you will build something that, well, the National Construction Code doesn't care at all about weight. And if you go over the weight of your, your trailer's capacity, you have ruined it in a way because (laughs) now you can't transport it under any circumstance on a road because it's unroadworthy. The brakes are only meant to stop a certain amount of mass. You can't exceed that weight 
limit and still take it legally on the road. And so the NCC is uh, great for houses on foundation, but uh, terrible to be your only guide for how to build a tiny house on wheels, uh, a vehicle. Yeah, and it's interesting because I've had this similar conversation about the different building codes in different contexts. So now with you, when, it, when we're talking about being road worthy, road safe and the weight and all of that, and then I was just speaking to someone the other day about the building codes in regards to the health effects of, say, building materials and the chemicals and all of that, and then I've talked to someone else about the building codes as it relates to bushfire resilience, and it feels like there's a lot of limitations if you're just going to follow that and that only because it doesn't sort of allow for these other types of nuances. And I'm curious about the caravan codes, in your opinion, because to my knowledge, I think a lot of tiny house building companies at least are going, uh, rather than necessarily using the the National Construction Code, they're going by the caravan codes, which, I mean, tiny houses on wheels, they don't fit perfectly into that caravan model as well but do you feel like that's a limitation too i don't know what guide that you're referring to because there's no real caravan guide apart from the vehicle standard bulletin one which is produced by the department of infrastructure there is the peak body of uh, caravan um, manufacturers in australia but because we're building with using such different materials to build them it really doesn't relate. The, the great advantage of building it with proper building materials that you build a house out of is that you can really get a tiny house vehicle, a caravan, to shed water. And this is the big difference between a caravan and a tiny house is that if you build it properly, it will shed water and it will last a long time. Ask any building inspector, what is the thing that damages a structure on foundation or anything, really? The quickest and the greatest is water. If you let water get into your structure, as happens with a caravan, a traditional caravan, water eventually gets into the wall, it grows mold, and it smells like every old caravan you've ever been in. <laughs> um, awful, you know, in terms of toxic places and and this is the the thing that is wonderful about tiny houses is that we can make them ourselves using thinking for ourselves, using um, what we know about construction from the National Construction Code as a guide, but then bringing in weight, uh, trying to make it lightweight and strong and shed water. So we're really doing something that is a very niche area of knowledge. Architects don't study tiny houses. Uh, mm. Builders, generally, the National Construction Code is a guide for houses on foundations. So, and this is part of what I'm trying to get across to people is you will have to think for yourself about the soundness of what you are building or you are having built for you. And it's a big responsibility. And if you're a bit too cavalier, it might end in tears. You know, you, mm. you, you have to be sensible both about strength, but also about things like summer heat in the design, like the, the radiant heat that travels in through the roof and the walls into your tiny house. If you don't interrupt it in some way and realize that you're not making a tiny house in North America where everybody 
on the internet talking about, you're building it here in Australia and we've got some serious sunshine and that roof is going to get hot. And the reason the National Construction Code doesn't have to necessarily deal with this is that most houses have an attic, which is a great radiant barrier. But we have to interrupt the heat traveling into us living in our lofts in a very small amount of millimeters from the outside steel to where you're sleeping is not very far. So, mm. you know, the designs have to be robust both in terms of strength, but also livability and our in, in our climate. It's a very fascinating area to be involved in. We used to build our own tiny houses and we kind of got out of that. But what, what's happened is I get to be a part of so many people's creativity by uh, teach them the basics and how to keep your eye on the right things. And then the creativity starts. And it's great to be a part of people's innovation in this uh, field, in this area. Just wonderful to do it. Yeah. You just mentioned the the radiant heat thing there. I know I think I've seen a video of you, yours talking about that. So I'll put a link in the show notes just for anyone that wants to to know a bit more about that too. And I agree with you that it is, uh, I think with the tiny house movement uh, or the tiny house way of life is is growing so much. And I think Australia is catching up a bit to the, the states. Uh, like you said at the beginning, there's so much information out there and to sort of have, I think, like a platform like yours and, and the... The work that you do and what you share with people is so valuable. And I know that you have a patented building method for tiny houses on wheels or tiny house vehicles called the unified construction method. Are you able to just talk us through a bit about that or give us an overview of the different elements? Yeah, sure. I'm glad to. Really where it was born was I was designing my tiny house without the benefit of all the things that are on the internet now. And so I had to go back and I said, well, if I'm going to build something that's going to be essentially in a hurricane and an earthquake at the same time, what's the best place to begin with regulations? And so I consulted the uh, what is a timber frame construction plywood bracing method in cyclonic areas. So that was where I began. And of course, they begin with uh, 90 by 45 stud and I've I built my tiny house with a with 90 by 35 studs. And so that's the wall thickness. I think that you can now do it in 70 by 35 and uh, lighten it up and have it be just as strong. But uh, I started with that standard. And one of the things they talk about with a bracing ply method is the fastening distances between the fastenings. And they also use some threaded rod and uh, they want you to use a certain thickness of uh, plywood. And so I adapted that. And that was the heart and soul of the unified construction method was starting with the cyclonic guidelines for timber frame house and then saying, how can I make it lighter and stronger? And so I've, we've, part of the unified construction method is the addition of, um, you're going to hate this because it is glue, <laughs> but, uh, uh, Flex 11FC, which is, uh, a great adhesive in construction, whereas uh, liquid nails is a terrible adhesive because it it grows, uh, gets harder over time, it will crack. And what you need in a tiny house is something that is going to be resilient to the vibration and the jiggle and the camber in the road and all these things. So the four elements of the unified construction method, one is the floor joist tie down. So this is a horizontal connection of the 
of the floor joist to the trailer, a very strong way of connecting it as opposed to a vertical connection of a screw or something that's going up and down. Um, and then the stud wall tie downs is the second element. And so we bring a bit of steel up into the structure of the wall and then again, fastening it horizontally. Um, and so there are eight of those in a tiny house. And then the third element is using the bracing ply, which I've mentioned already and adapting what had been the, the standard for a house on foundations, a residential construction, um, and then adapting it in ways to make it lightweight and just as strong, and in, in many ways stronger because the adhesive is added in there and that's not part of the, the standard. And then the final thing, which is really, doesn't have anything to do with strength, but it has to do with livability, is using a radiant barrier in the wall, in the roof in particular. Yeah, and so it's a, it's a conventional material used in an unconventional way. So this double-sided aluminum foil foam product, which gives you that shiny surface to reflect the radiant heat that is no longer the sun. It's actually your uh, hot roof. The steel of your roof it becomes the, the source of the radiant heat. And you need to uh, reflect that and not let it travel into your building. And it's all about maintaining an air gap. And so I put it in an unconventional place, which is between the rafter and the batten, instead of running this uh, double-sided aluminum foil foam stuff hard against the hot steel. I never saw the point of that. You, you're trying to make a radiant barrier. And then if you, well, just to back up, you know, yeah. aluminum is a great radiant barrier as long as you maintain an air gap. So you imagine having a uh, a very hot heat source. Maybe it's uh you've heated up a piece of steel so that it's red, red hot. And you take a piece of aluminum foil and you drop it between you and your hand. You've just reflected 98% of the heat back to the heat source. But if you then take your hand and you touch the aluminum, you have the aluminum foil and you're touching this hot piece of cherry red steel, you're going to burn your hand because mm. you now have lost the radiant the air gap is so important in keeping the radiant heat out of your house. And, and you need to do that in the cavity of your rafter space so that you're not, I've been called out to work on people's houses. There was a professional builder who built the house and the poor woman was trying to avert homelessness. She bought this and it's only habitable three months of the year. We pulled off the Hot the steel, we put in a radiant barrier, and now she's got a, you know, so it's not hard, but you do have to sort of think about these things. So anyway, you can hear my passion about it. I hope I'm not yeah. <laughs> sort of too negative, but I do feel like I've been saying this a long, long time and and still there's more to be done. It's not hard to make something pretty. And there's so many beautiful things out there and people making beautiful things, but it still has to be functional. It has to last over time. And it has to be, people say, oh, well, you know, I'm only going to take it on the road once or, you know, or it's never going to leave the property. Well, someone's going to take it on the road. <laughs> and um, <laughs> after you're finished with it and it's got wheels and if it's overweight, well, then you're not meant to be there anyway. And if it jiggles loose, well, that's a problem too, because all your money and time and effort is now to have something less than useful. I, I love your passion. So don't even worry about it. And I, I love that you really have this, it seems to have this strong focus on 
the safety and the longevity and and you know the the efficiency and 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 everything working together in a way that is going to be most safe for the person that's going to be not only living in the tiny house but also transporting it on the road and um i know that i've i've heard you talk about in your videos on road consequences of bad construction and talking about protecting say you other people and then also the tiny house movement because it kind of you know can potentially give us a, a maybe a, a bad name or a, or a not so ideal perspective or perception of the tiny house movement. So are you able to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think you're referring to um, the idea that if you're building a tiny house and it's not sound to be on the road, well then you're putting yourself at risk and also the person driving behind you. But then also if there's a tiny house fail, it's going to be big news everybody's going to cover it and um, we live in a fairly free regulatory environment uh, currently about how to build a tiny house on wheels and that could change if we have shoddy construction or there you know people get hurt you know that will be a rather hostile environment to then have more tiny house regulations come in um, we live in a very privileged time where you can still take up the hammer yourself and you can build a house to live in yourself. It's not as easy if it's a ha- tiny house on, uh, sorry, if it's on foundations because of insurances and owner builders are, you know, it takes a lot to become an owner, owner builder, but building your own caravan is still within the realm of possible. But we do have a big responsibility to those who come after us about mm. how we do it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And now for a quick break from this tiny house conversation. So I want to tell you about a wellness company whose products I've been using for many years, which I'll also have in my tiny house. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while or you know me personally, you'll know that health is super important to me. It's my number one value, and that includes a healthy home environment. And Block Blue Light are an amazing company who supply specialty downlights, light bulbs, reading lamps, blue blocking glasses, and much more to help protect you from exposure to artificial blue light and electromagnetic fields from your devices, lights, and other unnatural sources of lighting, especially at the wrong times of the day or night. Their products use amber and red lights rather than blue, think candle, moonlight, and fire vibes, which humans naturally would have been exposed to, especially in the evenings in our ancestral past. But the problem today is in the modern world, the abundance of all the artificial sources of light on the blue spectrum from our devices, where we've managed to trick our natural rhythms and circadian biology to thinking that nighttime is daytime and daytime is nighttime. That means the blue light from your phone, computer, or other devices at night makes your body think that the sun is out and therefore your physiology expresses itself as if it were daytime, which can lead to things like trouble falling asleep, interrupted sleep, or sleepless nights, as well as other health effects. And just like anything, the key is what else happens from this unnatural exposure over the long term. I love my block blue light, blue blocking glasses to wear during the day to work on my computer, as well as their light bulbs and twilight sleep lamps at night and their twilight red light torch for camping weekends away. And in my tiny home, all my downlights are from block blue light, which means I never have to worry about exposure to unnatural light. 
And for someone who has had challenges for several years, I absolutely notice a difference in sleep when I use my specialty blue blockers, lamps and lights, which have been shown to support production of your sleep hormone melatonin for healthier sleep patterns. And if you haven't noticed, yes, I'm a nerd who goes to great lengths for my health. The good news is Block Blue Light are offering you 10% off your order when you use my unique link and code. Just head over to tinyhouseconversations.com forward slash blue light and use the code THC podcast. THC is for tiny house conversations to get your discount. There's also a link in the episode show notes for your easy access. Now back to the show. Fred, I'd love to to switch gears a little bit and just talk uh, some more about tiny house trailers because I know that you uh, you have your own tiny house trailers as well. And are you able to just let us know a little bit more about your tiny trailers and some of the the specs of them? We have now in a couple versions of our tiny house trailers. the The main thing is is that they are built to have the unified construction method be the basis um, for it. You can be, it's mostly timber usually when people build, but you can use a steel frame construction. I do talk about just as an aside, steel versus timber in this, the online course that we have at Tiny House University. We want the trailer to be a solid base on which to then build your house. We hot dip galvanize them because it's just sort of the gold standard of how to have a long-lasting base to your house. And uh, we feel that whilst it isn't easy to have them, to build them that way necessarily, they want to, um, I don't know if you're familiar with hot dip galvanizing is a rather strenuous mm. process to do to a bit of steel. And when you've welded on them, they, they want to move basically, and they want to become a banana Mm -hmm. Uh, shape and we don't want them to be a banana we actually want them to be the other way because when you're building you want to have those jacks at uh stands at the very edges or near to the edge so that when you're lifting up and building on your tiny house there's no movement at all so that it's not spongy in any way Uh, once you build the walls using the unifying construction method with the bracing ply that trailer chassis will never move again it totally braces the trailer, uh, which is odd to think about. Um, mm-hmm. But when you get those big heavy axles in the center, they will bow the trailer. So you want to account for that. We do some underfloor storage, uh, some aluminium boxes between the axles so you can put your heavy things there, off-grid batteries. That's the purpose originally was for the underfloor storage was for the batteries. But there's so much space there that People tend to put the off-season things in there, big bulky dunas and things uh, under the floor. Anyway, we're pretty proud of our trailers, and we're also have spent quite a bit of time this year and last um, designing for the new regulations that are going to be coming in, and got some some solutions. We have two solutions to the revision six uh, VSB one requirements, basically the ADR sixty two, the Australian Design Room Rule sixty two, that has to do with the drawbar. You have to show evidence now of it being sound to really a five-fold level of safety. <laughs> yeah. So whereas the drawbar, it, like the coupling, that part that connects to the tow vehicle, is typically only going to take 10% of the weight. So the overall weight of your tiny house, say it was 4,000 kilograms, you'd have 400 kilograms, 10% on that coupling. 
level of safety they require under ADR 62, which has always been there, but never really policed, but now it is going to be, is you have to have fully half of the ATM. So if it's a four and a half ton trailer, it has to be 2,250 kilograms up and down at the very end, whereas it'll probably only ever see 400 kilograms. So the level of safety that's being required in Australia is uh, admirable. You know, we we have good safety standards in Australia, but wow, it can potentially make it heavy. And we've made some tweaks and we're getting our, our solution will be only about 20 kilograms heavier, which we're really proud of. For anyone listening, so you just mentioned the VSB1 or the Be Cool Standards Bulletin 1. I'll put a link in the show notes um, as well as for the Australian design rules. And I, I'm just curious as well, so with your trailers, because there are obviously um, lots of different tiny house trailer companies, and if if people are not so aware of, you know, how to find a, a good trailer, like what, so what makes your trailers maybe unique and different compared to, say, other trailers that uh, might be used by DIYers or building companies? Yeah, and I should say we we build um, trailers for both DIYers and for companies. I think we're one of the few that do a hot dip galvanizing, which is different than a galvanized product that you then weld on and then paint over the weld. A hot dip galvanizing is um, if you never make a penetration into that steel again, then it, it won't ever rust. The other thing is that we do uh, a variety of different widths of trailers. Most people get the 2400, the the maximum width, which allows you to go to uh, 2.5 meters wide. So it gives you 50 meters, 50 mil either side to finish off your tiny house. Um, the only thing that can go be beyond that width is um, the lights. The lights can protrude uh, further than that, but nothing else. And and they're very particular about this, like one mil over, nah, <laughs> you can't get it registered. So, um, so we do a variety of widths. We, we've got the 2400 and then we've got a design that is really designed for having two awnings fold down and travel with you in your tiny house. So that's the, the narrow one. And then we have a hybrid design, which is the third option, which essentially allows for one awning on one side and it's an asymmetrical trailer. So you can have an awning on one side, but then you're very close to, I think you're within 60 mil for internal space uh, with that hybrid design to the maximum space of the 2400. Does that make sense? Like you don't give away that much space uh, yeah. by getting yourself an awning. And you know everybody gets focused on that internal space, but it really is your t- overall living space. Like our tiny house has the two awnings. So we went with the narrowest internal dimension because we get all of the outside living. And that's one of the things that's lovely about living in a tiny house is you are connected and feel more connected to the earth than you do in a, even a small house. I noticed that anyway, that, you know, your connection to the earth is much, much greater when you're in a tiny house and having those awnings and, um, Veranda awnings and decks are wonderful design that I think people ought to consider when they're thinking of their living space and square meterage. You know, don't forget the outside space. Yeah, absolutely. That seems to be a common thing that pretty much everyone I've talked to on the, on the show and offline as well talk about, like having the deck and and you know really bringing the outside in and then also increasing the 
the size of your livable space as well with having that uh, that set up. And, uh, I, you know, we talked a bit a few times today about like the safety and the weight and, and all of that of the tiny house on wheels or the trailer. And uh, I'd love if you were able to just talk to us a bit about the the three different aspects that are important to keep track of when it comes to the weight of a tiny house vehicle. You've got to be really careful of the weight of the trailer. And then there's thinking about, well, the house that you're actually building on the trailer. Yeah. So the trailer, you want to have that as light as you can, because you don't want to be giving away weight. You're going to have a limit eventually. And usually it's four and a half ton. We do build a few tiny houses that are three and a half ton uh, weight rating, but most everybody is going for four and a half ton. Um, so there's the trailer itself, there's the ha- the structure of the house part, and then there's your stuff, um, mm-hmm. which can include off the grid sorts of things. And then it starts to get really tricky. If you're going to have an off the grid tiny house that is 7.2 meters long, you know, you're going to start to struggle to get it under the weight rating without doing something fancy, you know, it, it totally can be done, but you have to keep your eye on that ball about if there's a lighter weight option available and you're okay with that, then choose the lighter weight one uh, for mm-hmm. sure. Double glazing's a good example. In a tiny house, having lived in one, and and this is a sort of a general, an illustration of a general principle that in tiny houses, you have unique tiny house problems, but often what is offered to you in design principles and in building, particularly professional builders, they're going to give you the big house solution to something that isn't a tiny house problem. And in my view, double glazing is one of those that double glazing is there primarily to retain heat in winter, unless there's some kind of a coating on the glass that's reflecting out the UV light from outside it's not doing anything for you in the summertime. Now, it, it does other things, you know, it makes it more soundproof and that sort of thing. But if what you're hoping for is to have a really snuggy, warm, tiny house, and you're going to have your double glazing, I think it's misplaced. It's heavy, it's expensive, and it's probably not needed because single glazing will be sufficient because you're going to have plenty of heat in a tiny house, whereas in a larger house, People are cold because the houses are big and the windows are large and it's tough to heat, but that's not necessarily a problem in a tiny house. In my experience, you have plenty of of heat in winter and you want to retain that heat, but you don't have to go to the trouble of double glazing to have a nice, warm, snuggy, tiny house. And the benefit is that you can then change your design focus away from retention of heat in winter to how to stay cool in summer. And then you're looking at radiant barriers and how to have sensible window placements and get good ventilation and um, using awnings and the the natural aspects that are on your particular property where you're going to have your tiny house. Um, The property almost can designs the tiny house. If you know where it's going to be, it really starts to help you to design it uh, well for to suit that that location. That's a really good point, actually. Like, where is it actually going to be parked, and and you know, what are the requirements in in that context as well? That's yeah, that's a good point. I think it can often be something that's that's overlooked. And 
just continuing along the line of like this, the the weight limitations and all of that, I'm curious, what would be some of the consequences if one was to build over the weight limit of say the trailer over 4.5 ton, as well as over the national legal limit on using like electric brakes on vehicles rated to higher than 4.5 ton? Oh, you're good, Lucy. You know the rule. That's right. If you see a tiny house that's rated to six ton and it's got electric brakes on it, they've done it uh, incorrectly. You're not allowed to have electric brakes on something that's rated to six ton. But um, yeah, so the consequences of being overweight are that it's even with an unregistered vehicle permit, you know, you won't be able to take it on the road because it's now deemed to be unroadworthy. So it would have to be carried. It can't roll on its own wheels is what I'm saying. It would have Mm. to be carried. It doesn't mean that you won't be able to live in it, but a lot of the things that people are shooting for, the, the portability of a tiny house so that it changes with you and your life, that goes out the window, you know, and now you have an expensive proposition of putting it on a low rider um, big, big truck and to move it around. Yeah. So th- it's not hard. You stay within the height and width limitations. You get your lighting right for your outline marker lights, you know, read the VSB one and you'll be right in terms of getting it registered as a caravan. And therein, Lucy, lies another reason to stay within the regulations. You know, people think, oh, well, I'll, I'll build it to three meters wide and I'll just take an unregistered vehicle permit and move it around. Well, you know, that might work as long as you're under the weight limit. Um, but it's hard to keep things light if you've now expanded your footprint. The bigger the footprint, the heavier the thing is going to weigh. But the other consequence is that councils, you know, we have our greatest freedom if we are living in a caravan in a tiny house, uh, sorry, living in a caravan allows you to have a legal, it might be limited where your council says, oh, you can only live in it for a certain period of time, but you also have the protection of them not naming it as a house. So (laughs) if you can point to the registrability or it as a registered caravan, then it's very clear that it's not a building and you, you do not have to meet the building regulations. So is that clear? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for that. And, you know, just to kind of, I guess, tie a bit of a bow here on on the trailer aspect of things. So with your trailers, you talked about how you supply DIY builders as well as professional building companies. So if someone's listening to this, whether they're from a building company, maybe thinking about wanting to either find out more about your trailers or maybe even use some of your trailers or even a DIY builder. Do you have like a current lead time and and like what the process would be if someone wanted to find out more or order some trailers from you? Yeah, there's um, our website's pretty good for directing you to learning more about, you know, how to order one. We're, we're Our lead times had blown out to about 11 weeks, but the galvanizer is always a slow step. And mm-hmm. um they have improved and um, they are no longer taking as long as they used to. So we're back to probably eight to 10 weeks yep. ordering to getting your trailer. Um, and what's your, what's your website address so that just people can hear it and then I'll, I'll put it in the show notes as well. Sure. Yeah. It's just fredstinyhouses.com.au. You go to trailers. There's a great section on DIY resources, lots in there. I know that you pay attention to lighting and 
and that sort of thing. And yeah. I, I love lighting in a tiny house, you know, bouncing light off of another surface to give you the mood that you want is something that I yeah. like doing and like thinking about. Lots of resources in there about windows, about how to get good ventilation, you know, things that you don't have to power with a fan. Yeah, just elegant design tips. If you take the course and you buy the course at which is called How to Build a Tiny House, um, the Australian online course. And that's at tinyhouseuniversity.com.au. If you end up buying a trailer from us, we give you all that money back for the course, $288 uh, for the course. And that's oh, wow. discounted if you buy a trailer from us. And plus you get three hours of my time to help you work through your design or you're up a ladder. I love the the calls that come. You're up a ladder and so. Fred, how's that thing go together? And, <laughs> you know, and say, yeah, yeah, do this. And yeah. That's so good. Well, speaking, because I was going to ask you about that next, do you want to tell everyone a bit more about Tiny House University? Because I know you have your course. And if you want to go maybe into a bit more detail as well as you do your your building workshops too and anything else you want to share about all of that? Yeah. So we, we do both. Our, our basic business model is trailers and training. We used to... Um, build tiny houses, but we don't do that anymore. We might get back into it, but we got plenty to do at the moment. The training part of it is either in person, um, and I used to go all over Australia doing them, but we have our online course now, and that's where most people get the information. But I still do do um, workshops in Melbourne and Canberra uh, occasionally, and in um, Castle Maine where I live. Um, the online course is. You know, it is a thorough, deep, it is not a lightweight course. Uh, it's 37 different units in it, and it's about seven hours of instruction. And it's a good starting place to help anyone who's thinking about building a tiny house to kind of understand the physical forces that are acting on it and the ways to make it lightweight and yet strong. There's also bit in there about where to put your tiny house and off the grid living and and toilets uh i heard i saw that anthony smith was somebody mm -hmm. that you've interviewed um yeah. anthony i met at one of the uh, workshops i had a trailer and he had his marquee next to us and really enjoyed my time with anthony and yeah he's great yeah yeah he's a very knowledgeable guy very friendly anyway we have our composting toilet which we go into great detail about how that might work and how off the grid living might work for you. Yeah, so I think it's a good starting point uh, for whether you're a professional or a DIY builder to help you. Or if you just want to become an informed consumer about what's out there, it's a good beginning point to get your head around this thing called a tiny house on wheels. Yeah, and I'd imagine if you're someone that's maybe going through a tiny building company and you you kind of just want to know, like have a deeper understanding of how a tiny house is constructed as well as maybe understanding the right questions to ask your builder. And then, of course, you're talking about all the different lifestyle aspects as well. Would you say that it, it could also be suitable for someone for that purpose as well? Yes, yes, yeah. I think so. And we more and more, we collaborate with builders who want to use the unified construction method. And we have a uh, a growing list of builders who um, you can get a unified construction method built house of your own floor plan, but you know the basic elements are there, so that you know that it's a sound uh, structure. And yeah, wanting to add more and more to those people who are 
uh, professional builders who want to build in this way. So, yeah. Yeah, that's great. And are there any exciting projects that are coming up for you or anything that you're working on at the moment that you wanted to share a little bit more about or let us know? Well, uh, we've been involved with the heavily consumed in doing the VSB1 revisions um, and getting all the engineering on that, which has been kind of a wonky kind of interest of mine, how to do it and how to do it lighter weight so you don't have to think about it. But <laughs> one of the things that we've been a part of is a project called the Eden Project, which is there's a benefactor out there who has funded um, 15 women in their tiny house journey, uh, co-funded it, so partially funded their journey. And we're busy making their trailers and we're going to be part of their build. Uh, we're not the only ones involved. There's an architect, uh, architectural firm called Ordinary House, Sam and Luthia, who are creating very innovative designs using the unified construction method uh, to build, um, help these women get into stable housing. Many of them are in the Northern Rivers, have been flooded out, mm. but also here in Victoria wonderful generosity by people who don't have to give away their money but they are doing that and that's been a an exciting project to be a part of i feel proud of being part of yeah what is a very um needed and um yeah just a wonderful spirit of giving kind of comes back to what makes us human and and i love that and I uh, will put a link in the show notes to to those things as well if people want to go check that out. And just as we start to close out the conversation today, Fred, is there anything that you feel like we maybe haven't covered that you might want to um, say a few words about or anything that you want to just leave our listeners with? Yeah, I guess I want to maybe touch back on this idea of um, that the tiny house, I want people to have their beautiful house. I also want it to last and I want it to perform thermally in the way that they intend so that they can live in it full time. And that going to visit tiny houses on Airbnb is a great way to refine what it is that you're after. If you haven't put insulation in the floor or it hasn't been designed in there, you know, walk around on one that doesn't have any insulation in it. You get educated and uh, look at its thermal performance, not just all the pretty aspects. Great words to end on there. And Fred, I just want to say thank you so much for your time today. Uh, it has been really great to to know a bit more about you and, you know, thank you for what you do for the tiny house community. Uh, it's it's very much appreciated and, and thanks again for your time today. Yes, and thank you, Lucy, because you have, since St. Ives, created quite a uh, collection of podcasts of some really terrific people and you keep up your good work. I really enjoy what you're doing and the level of professionalism that you bring to, to your work. And, oh, thank you. Yeah. And you're going to be a tiny house person. I am going to be a tiny house person. So uh, yeah, I'm very excited. And as I mentioned to you, it's not far off any day now. So yeah, I'll, I'll be, I'll be updating on, um, about all, all of that on the podcast. And do you just want to mention your, uh, your website one last time, Fred, and maybe even your social media, and we can also put those in the show notes for everyone. Yes, it's uh, fredstinyhouses.com.au, and we're also on Instagram, but mostly the website, place to go, and then Tiny House University, tinyhouseuniversity.com.au. Look forward to following your progress, Lucy, as you 
as you move move through. Oh, thank you, Fred. Thank you so much. And yeah, hopefully I'll get to maybe meet you in person at an upcoming Tiny Homes uh, event or something like that. And uh, for everyone listening at home, I'll put uh, all the links that we talked about today at tinyhouseconversations.com. And thank you so much for listening, for being here as always. Make sure you go check out everything that Fred is doing and also stay tuned every Thursday for new episodes of Tiny House Conversations. And I'll see you next time. Thanks again for listening. And if you enjoyed the conversation today, you found it valuable and you want to support the podcast, the best way you can do that is to share the love. That way I can keep bringing you more tiny house conversations to help you on your own tiny journey. So here are three ways that you can support the podcast. Number one, if you have a friend or family member that you feel would benefit from hearing these conversations, feel free to share it with them, email them, text them, send them a telegram, do whatever you need to do to share it with them. Number two, if you hit the subscribe button, you'll know exactly when the next episode is live. And number three, if you head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to podcasts and leave a five-star rating and review. Thank you so much in advance. I appreciate you and I'll see you in the next episode.